Welcome to the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast. I'm Sarah Hill, Associate Editor. Today's program is brought to you by BioTill Cover Crops. BioTill Cover Crops provide innovative solutions to growing problems with a complete line of cover crops engineered to scavenge nutrients, improve water infiltration, stop erosion, rejuvenate soils, improve your bottom line, and keep you profitable. Call 541-928-0102 today for one-on-one local consultations and recommendations. Today, I'd like to introduce Mike Henderson, Iowa State Agronomist with USDA NRCS. Mike will be discussing cover crop selection. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Hey, good morning, and thank you for inviting me. Happy to be here. To get us started, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I was uh, raised on a uh, large irrigated crop farm down in the uh, Oklahoma Panhandle. Uh, I studied at uh, agronomy at Oklahoma State University, and I ended up moving up to uh, Northeast Iowa in uh, 1993. I worked in ag retail for about seven years and before getting into conservation in the NRCS. And with the NRCS, I've worked in Kansas and Iowa, as in Southwest Kansas, and I've been in multiple locations in Iowa. And I'm currently serving as the uh, Iowa NRCS state agronomist. Fantastic. So let's go ahead and, and jump right in. Talk a little bit about how a grower decides to prioritize cover crop goals. Cover crops can do a lot of different things for growers. And so how do they decide which one should get more precedence when selecting a cover crop species? Yeah, and I mean, that's a, a really a great uh, place to start with cover crops because, I mean, anytime you're going to, anytime you're going to add a cover crop into a uh, system, it adds risk and it adds expense. So really carefully planning uh, what you're going to use that cover crop for to capitalize on those benefits is really critical. And so initially, uh, the goal really may be just to get a cover crop to work into their rotation without causing issues on planting, harvest, or yield. But you know, as they go uh, through, get more comfortable with the cover crops, uh, they can really ramp up the goals. I mean, really looking at uh, maximizing those benefits and targeting those uh, uh, benefits. So it, it really comes to uh, each producer as to what... Um, they want to do on their farm and how much they want to add into that uh, operation, whether it be soil health, uh, erosion protection, or looking at uh, a more vegetation. So uh, the feed and forage for a livestock operation. So you mentioned maximizing the benefits of cover crops. Can cover crops help growers to accomplish multiple goals? So for example, say that a a grower was wanting to maybe scavenge nutrients in the soil while improving soil compaction. Can they actually accomplish both things at the same time? Absolutely. I mean, anytime a cover crop is planted, regardless of what the overall goal is or the primary goal is, uh, the cover crop has potential to provide multiple benefits. I mean, the cover crop will provide the resources for the soil biology. I mean, the cover crops growing out there will uh, scavenge and retain the nutrients, help start breaking up that compaction, uh, regardless of whether the uh, primary goal is for excess or extra forage for the livestock operation. 
And I really, uh, in that, that there is a, a big issue here that uh, we need to, to cover is uh, all of the cover crops have the potential to do that. But we really need to focus on what it takes to get that cover crop successful. We've got to get that cover crop established and we've got to let it grow enough to provide the benefit, any of the benefits. Otherwise, it's kind of just a wasted opportunity. So when we're looking at those goals and looking at the benefits, we've got to really look uh, hard at allowing that cover crop an opportunity to provide them. So enough time to grow, really to get that photosynthetic engine running on the surface of so the green leaves, pumping that carbon and energy into the soil and the root system uh, to develop. So when growers are trying to choose cover crop species, are there certain species that are a better bang for their buck when it comes to maximizing those benefits? You know, it's a, a really great question. A lot of people are, uh, a lot of scientists right now are really looking at that. Uh, I really like uh, some of the work that uh, Dr. Lehman, Dr. Tahari are doing out in ARS. Uh, they're actually looking at uh, specific species of cover crops and what soil biology is impacted uh, by any of those species. Uh, in particular, they were looking at wheat versus oats, uh, and there was a dramatic difference in uh, uh, what soil biology was supported uh, by each of those. So on the surface, uh, the two cereal grains look very similar, but below the ground and really what soil health benefits they're providing, it's dramatically different. So as we learn more about that, as, as we progress, we'll be able to make a, a whole lot better answer on this as far as uh, which uh, species is best to fit into their rotation uh, to support that uh, subsequent crop. But right now, you know, we're really left with uh, what we have. Uh, and so looking at cover crops that establish quickly, and then provide the longest time period of root growth, offer the best value. So, you know, if you put something out there that uh, uh, is only gonna grow six weeks versus putting something out there that's going to grow uh, three months, uh, you get better value out of the one that grows three months. But that being said, management really ramps up when you're doing a uh, cover crop that overwinters uh, or, or lasts a long time and you have to terminate it, uh, prior to your uh, next crop. And right now, I mean, in Iowa, we're really trying to focus on uh, cover crops and figure out how to get them fit into uh, a system. Right now, cereal rye is really the workhorse because of our season and because of our crop rotation. And we're adding um, more opportunity to put maybe a spring cover crop in, uh, delay that corn planting a little bit till uh, the first to mid-May, mid rather than trying to put that corn in in uh, mid-April, really trying to expand those cover crop benefits. So it's a complex question, uh, but really focus on how you're gonna fit it into your uh, cropping system and make sure that you get something that is going to uh, establish quickly and provide that benefit uh, that you're looking for. Great. That, that actually leads me right to my next question. So how does a grower identify 
the management practices that a cover crop will add to their operation? And how does that extra management play into deciding which cover crop species to use? Yeah, and I mean, management is key and timing. The, I've seen uh, very good farmers uh, struggle uh, in adding a, uh, a, a different uh, thing or doing something differently into their operation. And a lot of it comes down to that specific timing of uh, when you get something terminated or uh, planted. So when you're looking at uh, the system, and, that, and that's what we need to be thinking of, it, it, it's not really adding a cover crop into one year. We really need to look at how are we adding this cover crop into the whole crop rotation. So it, it, it's looking at it as a multi-year process. And we're also looking at what is that going to be as far as timing. If you've got a crop growing until, uh, in, at least in Iowa, until mid to late November, there's really no time uh, to get a cover crop established in the fall anymore. Our, our weather uh, just won't allow that. So we need to make those choices as to, are we going to put that cover crop in prior to that crop being harvested? Is there going to be enough sunlight? Is there going to be enough moisture to get that cover crop uh, established? So when the, when the producers are just starting out with cover crops, we're going to take baby steps, looking at the species that are a little easier to control. So we may be looking at putting in that uh, winter kill uh, species or a species that's not going to need termination prior to the subsequent, really, the cash crop. But as, as they get more comfortable with that, as they get comfortable with the cover crops in their system, the timing, the planting, uh, and that, then we can start ramping that, uh, the cover crop selection up, as well as the, the timing uh, to really start providing those uh, expanded benefits uh, through the uh, winter and into the spring, or even potentially uh, looking at their crop rotation, uh, grabbing those uh, cover crops in that late summer timeframe if we're doing a, uh, a small grain. Okay, so kind of building on that question, how would seeding method influence the selection of cover crop species or, or mixes? And it, the seeding method really does feed into a lot of the decisions we make from, from a standpoint of uh, what species are able to be seeded uh, aerially or broadcast without incorporation or if the species really needs to be in, incorporated compared with uh, the crop rotation and the uh, time of year. Uh, so in Iowa, primarily a, a corn bean, uh, soybean rotation, uh, we've got a very narrow window uh, in that fall time frame, a uh, pretty narrow window in the spring time frame. Uh, so when we're looking at uh, seeding into a, a, a corn crop in Iowa, where we're not going to be harvesting that crop uh, until uh, mid to late October, the seeding method is very uh, limited or our seeding species are very limited. So if we're only going to use a drill, we're going to limit our species to uh, basically the winter hardy cereals. Uh, we have brought uh, a camelina into the mix, which is a winter hardy uh, broadleaf uh, to get through that uh, winter seeding. Cause we, I mean, we've got a very harsh winter uh, 
and pretty short growing season there in the fall. If we're looking at uh, being able to aerially apply or uh, put in a high boy and go through that standing crop, then we can get our seeding done uh, earlier in the uh, year then it opens up more species. So then we can put those uh, ones that aren't going to survive the winter in and allow them that five, six, seven weeks of uh, growth so that we see some benefit from them. As, as you move uh, further south in Iowa, uh, it, it's very much easier to get those uh, uh, fall seedings done just because you have a little bit more time frame. So as you move further south in the in the US, that's going to open up a lot more opportunity. But you also have to look at the uh, the moisture conditions. So if we're putting out an aerial applied or a broadcast on the surface, we've must have we we've got to have moisture uh, to get that to uh, germinate and grow. Uh, so if we're in uh, a dry period in the fall, which is typically uh, pretty common, uh, timing of the application then becomes uh, critical uh, for success. Because a lot of times if you put the uh, seed out there, broadcast, uh, it doesn't germinate, you have a lot of predation. A lot of the earthworms will start uh, pulling it into their middens, a lot of birds, uh, uh, crickets, a lot of the uh, predators will start taking those uh, seed. And, and you reduce your uh, germination, you reduce your establishment uh, likewise. So in a dry condition, uh, actually switching to a winter hardy or switching to a different species may be more beneficial than going ahead with uh, the, the plan and putting it in with a drill, uh, trying to get it into the ground, get it into that uh, moisture so it does be successful. Okay. So likewise, on the, the other side of that coin, how does termination method fit into selecting cover crop species? The, the termination method, uh, we've got a lot of tools in the toolbox uh, when it comes to uh, whether a, a chemically a, a termination. Uh, we, we try to shy away from uh, uh, Tillage is a terminating uh, factor just because it, it does cause, it degrades a little bit on some of the goals, uh, whether you're doing a soil health goals or that. Uh, it also can cause uh, a lot of issues with if you have a very dense root mass uh, with the, uh, say, a cereal grain and you go out there and, and do a tillage pass, uh, it can get pretty lumpy uh, and hard to get a good seed uh, bed established. Uh, so we do shy away from uh, the tillage. Uh, from that standpoint, but termination method, when you're looking at the overall crop rotation uh, management within the whole system, that's one of the key decisions uh, right up front to make. It's been, I mean, again, in Iowa, kind of the perspective of a uh, corn-soybean rotation with a, uh, a pretty significant uh, uh, cold winter, uh, we, we have that uh, consistent uh, winter kill uh, through the winter. So if uh, the producer does not want to uh, look at having to deal with a termination in the spring, or they're going to put their crop in early enough uh, in the spring uh, that the weather's not going to allow that chemical termination to be truly effective because of the cool temperatures uh, and, the, and the, active, the cover crop's not actively growing at the time they want to do the chemical termination, 
Uh, then looking at that winter kill species uh, fits the operation, fits the uh, uh, system a lot better. If they're willing to allow that cover crop to grow a little bit longer in the spring, when we start having uh, the warmer temperatures, uh, chemical termination then becomes uh, much more valid. And in, in all those uh, decisions, the primary goal is still getting that cover crop effectively and completely terminated uh, so that it doesn't impact uh, that cash crop. Uh, and so that, that's the ultimate goal when we're talking about the termination method is uh, what the cash crop is, subsequent crop, how it's going to be established, what is the capacity of the uh, producer uh, to be able to put that crop in, uh, what, what's their planter set up like, um, what timing are they going to be putting it into. We'll be right back to the podcast, but first I want to thank our sponsor. BioTill cover crops provide innovative solutions to growing problems with a complete line of cover crops engineered to scavenge nutrients, improve water infiltration, stop erosion, rejuvenate soils, improve your bottom line, and keep you profitable. Call 541-928-0102 today for one-on-one local consultations and recommendations. And now back to the podcast. So you mentioned earlier that winter kill cover crop species are a good choice for someone who's new to using covers. Are there any other circumstances when it would be best for a grower to use winter kill cover crops? The the winter kill cover crops, um, if if they're looking at putting in a, a crop very early in the spring, um, the winter kill option provides that uh, window so that they don't have to uh, terminate the cover crop in that early time frame. From from the standpoint of most of the management, or most of the benefits of the cover crop, I really like to uh, uh, once producers are comfortable with that, uh, push them into that uh, winter hardy uh, species. Uh, one of the main reasons is if we're looking at a lot of the uh, winter kill species, a lot of them have a, a low carbon to nitrogen ratio, uh, say like the turnips or radish. Uh, and, and if they grow really well in the fall, uh, they can start decomposing very early in the spring. And that can release that scavenged nitrogen uh, early, well before the crop is ready to take it up. And then that nitrogen is uh, available or potential uh, to be lost through leaching or denitrification in a wet spring. Uh, So if nutrient scavenging is primary goal, we really do uh, push for the winter hardy. the compromise would be putting in a uh, spring cereal such as oats or uh, a spring wheat in so that it uh, ties that up. The, the grass is going to have a little better carbon to nitrogen ratio. Uh, but, but it all comes back to, to the management when we're looking at the winter kill uh, species. Very good. So you've mentioned a couple times about using cover crops as livestock feed or forage. Um, or even as silage, is the decision process different 
for choosing cover crop species if the grower intends to use the covers for livestock feed? Absolutely. There's a lot of considerations when they when they build into uh, the system with livestock, and there's there's a, a huge amount of opportunity. Uh, cover crops have a tremendous fit uh, with with a livestock producer to add that supplemental feed uh, for their herd. Uh, so so the first decision that I really talk through with producers is, can the field be grazed or not? So, so if they're able to graze that field, then we start talking about, I mean, right up front uh, with the, the cropping system. So if they're putting corn out there, uh, are they willing to or, or do they have the capacity to look at uh, maybe the wide rows? There's been a lot of producers having success with, say, 60-inch rows. With them, you can uh, put in a diverse cover crop mix that really won't in- interfere with the corn uh, say red clover, annual ryegrass, say cowpeas, in between those wide rows. Once the corn is harvested in the fall, your field is chock full of high quality forage. And then in a really good balanced mix between that uh, green forage and dry roughage. Uh, it makes a great grazing combination. Uh, one of the issues we have seen on that is uh, the cattle like it so well that they can clean off the uh, residue and you, you're really left with not much to uh, protect that soil. And then if, if wide rows really is not something that uh, you, the producer is really comfortable with uh, doing uh, in after the uh, crop harvest uh, or, or even before, if we're putting it in uh, aerially or with a high boy before the crop is harvested, Mixing in a non-winter hardy species, say like oats or other spring cereal, uh, a, a kale, uh, rapeseed, depending on where you are, that can and may or may not be uh, winter hardy, uh, but the radish is in with a winter hardy cereal grain, say like rye or triticale, winter wheat, uh, gives good grazing in the fall as long as we can get it in uh, soon enough to get that growth. But the reason I like to add that spring cereal or spring uh, uh, plant species in, they'll put more energy, that plant will put more energy into top growth uh, and less into uh, root development, trying to get that uh, seed head produced. So it gives a better grazing potential in the fall. Whereas like a winter hardy cereal like rye, it'll really put a lot more energy into developing that root system in the fall uh, so they can survive over winter uh, and produce that uh, top growth then in the spring. So mixing the two uh, really gives you that uh, grazing in the fall as well as the grazing in the spring. When grazing is not an option on the field, uh, there's always the option to take a cutting of hay or silage uh, in the spring. Or if you're uh, following a small grain crop uh, or, or something that allows you to get uh, the growth earlier in the summer, you can take that uh, uh, silage or cutting in the fall. But really what hinges that is uh, the goals for the producer for the cover crop. Uh, if you're really looking at uh, getting maintaining those benefits of the cover crop, you should raise the cutter bar up a little bit. Don't put it right on the ground. Uh, leave more uh, uh, residue out there or plant structure, uh, either to, to protect the soil surface or allow that plant to uh, regrow if it's in the fall, regrow before uh, frost. Uh, I mean, it, it really becomes a balancing act for the overall system. If you get too greedy and take too much of the uh, residue, uh, you really short yourself on the uh, benefits 
of putting that cover crop in there from a soil uh, standpoint. So maintaining and uh, just keep consideration of those uh, soil pr health principles. I mean, keeping that soil covered, uh, adding that diversity in, and keeping those living roots as long as you can. And then, I mean, minimizing the disturbance, uh, keeping those in focus can really drive uh, your decisions um, out there when you're taking that uh, crop. Great. So talk a little bit um, about using cover crops for weed suppression. What considerations should be included when growers are selecting cover crop species for that purpose? Weed suppression is really a primarily a function of biomass production, meaning the, the amount of top growth. The more biomass, the more top growth we have uh, produced, the better the weed suppression. There's been uh, many, many studies uh, done across uh, this country uh, that have shown that time and time again. Uh, so when you're looking at selecting species, looking at ones that pr produce that heavy top growth, as well as a good carbon to nitrogen ratio, uh, so a higher carbon to nitrogen ratio so that that residue uh, will last uh, a longer time uh, rather than, uh, say, a, a radish uh, that degrades fairly quickly. You get good weed suppression while it's growing, uh, but as, when it's terminated, uh, you lose that uh, soil protection fairly quick. And there are some species that produce uh, natural exudates uh, that retard the germination or growth of some weeds. Uh, it's called a leliopathic response. Uh, cereal rye produces uh, benzoxanoids uh, that are primarily reduced germination uh, and seedling survivability of, say, a small seeded grass and broadleaves. Uh, I've seen it done a, do a very good job with reducing foxtail, pigweeds, uh, water hemp, and lamb's quarter. So I've, I've seen it work really, really well uh, with uh, some organic producers that allow that uh, cereal rye uh, to grow. Generally in Iowa, we're looking at the end of May, 1st of June, uh, when, the, when the plant gets to what's called anthesis, or when the pollen starts uh, being released from the seed head, then they can use a crimper to lay down that cereal rye into a mat, uh, which terminates the uh, rye the combination of that mat uh, on the uh, soil as well as uh, some of the compounds really does a very good job uh, controlling those weeds. With the uh, soybeans, we have uh, not seen any indication whatsoever uh, that the uh, rye causes uh, any alleliopathic uh, effect. Uh, there's a little bit of debate with the corn yet, uh, but it's mainly been uh, shown that the uh, alleliopathic the benzoxanoids really doesn't impact uh, the corn, especially if you've uh, got that corn planted inch and a half to two inches deep. Uh, the nitrogen is really a, a lot more of an issue there. So, so really the bottom line on weed suppression with the, uh, the cover crops is, is getting enough biomass produced uh, to shade that soil surface and then provide that mat of cover uh, into that crop until it can grow enough to get canopy. Great. So some growers may want to use cover crops to bust up soil compaction in the soil, uh, down in the soil profile. Are there certain cover crop species that are best for that purpose? 
any of the uh, the cover crop species that have a, a, a aggressive root system, a dense fibrous root system, is, is the ones I kind of uh, uh, lean toward, uh, just because of effort or the 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 benefit in quantity and numbers. Uh, the those fine roots and a lot of them. Uh, we'll start uh, getting penetrating in between the uh, layers of compaction, expanding those layers, getting the soil biology active back in between those layers, uh, providing uh, channels uh, for the uh, cash crop then uh, to penetrate those uh, layers and then further uh, keep breaking that uh, uh, compaction up. Uh, annual ryegrass has been shown uh, we don't have any fragipans in Iowa, but I've read a, a lot of articles that annual ryegrass does a, an excellent job uh, in some of the fragipan soils. I am breaking that up. And, and the nice thing about the uh, cover crops and the root system is once they break that compaction up, uh, they stabilize that uh, uh, soil. And Ohio State has done several studies uh, showing that, that cover crops used to break up that compaction is much more effective uh, than using a, a ripper because the, the roots break it up and then stabilize it. Whereas the ripper breaks it up, but then the soil settles back down into that uh, compaction uh, layer. So I'm, I'm really partial to those uh, fibrous root system, uh, the cereal grains, uh, your, the annual ryegrass. If you're looking at a, a summer type uh, uh, cover crop, the forage sorghums, sedan grasses do a really fantastic job. And I mean, obviously a, a big taproot like that uh, Dacon radish uh, is pretty impressive. I mean, it, it drills through, uh, provides some of the uh, compaction breakup, but there's a lot of great species to choose from. And I guess putting in a plug for uh, some of the regional cover crop councils uh, here in Iowa, we go to the Midwest Cover Crop Council. They have great websites uh, that that try to rate those species that are uh, available for that uh, specific area for specific characteristics like compaction. Uh, so, looking at uh, some of those allows that uh, the producer to uh, make informed decisions on which uh, uh, cover crops have a better rating on that. But the basic focus is getting a deep, aggressive root system. I mean, that, that, that's the key on uh, selecting a species that'll start breaking that uh, compaction up. Fantastic. So you mentioned the Midwest Cover Crop Councils are a great place for information. Are there any other places uh, where our listeners can go to find out more about cover crop selection? Well, obviously, uh, being in the NRCS, I'm going to put a plug in for the uh, uh, the NRCS of uh, going to the local field office. The Natural Resources Conservation Service has done a lot of effort in uh, training uh, our field office staff uh, to be able to work in that local area and uh, get the uh, the best information for the producer in that uh, where their where their farm is. Going on farmers.gov is a great website uh, to either find your local NRCS office as well as uh, other resources on uh, conservation topics and current programs uh, that are available. Uh, watching for field days and networking opportunities to talk with other producers that have used cover crops is, is just a fantastic opportunity uh, to, to keep an open mind, talk with other producers, see what works in their area 
uh, it, it's always uh, key uh, following somebody that has already made some mistakes and have learned from them uh, kind of helps you guide that you don't have to make those uh, same mistakes. And, and putting the plug in on the Midwest Cover Crop Council, uh, that's really uh, our workhorse uh, go-to uh, place for a lot of the uh, housing, the, the cover crop and the benefits and the characteristics. And that model has now been taken across the country. And so there are regional cover crop councils uh, throughout the, uh, the U.S. now. Uh, some of them are still kind of new getting developed but you should be able to, uh, anywhere you are in the country, find a regional cover crop council website uh, and explore what's, what characteristics, what species are uh, recommended and available in your area. Great. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Mike. Really appreciate your time and expertise. Yep, thank you. Once again, I want to thank BioTill for sponsoring this podcast. To learn more about BioTill, call... 541-928-0102 today. For more information about all things cover crops, visit us online at covercropstrategies.com.